so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you being empowered with knowledge so you can save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Our website's clark.com and clarkdeals.com. Coming up in just a few minutes, this is terrible. Today's Clark Rage is about how many people are afraid their credit card's going to be declined because they've used up their whole limit. Seriously. And coming up yet later, as I've shared with you a month ago, the home security industry is going through the greatest wave of change since it started in the 1950s. And I want to tell you, that's a long time ago, right? I want to tell you about all the ways you can do home security far cheaper than you ever would have imagined. So, not that long ago, the Wall Street analysts were sure that Costco was toast, that Costco had no chance against the onslaught of Amazon. And guess what? Costco and its arch rival, Sam's Club, Sam's Club doesn't report uh, true separate numbers because it's owned by Walmart. But they're both doing just fine, and Costco is booming. The sales increases Costco's having are some of the finest in all of retail. How could they do that? I mean, they have limited selection, limited hours. The stores are basically, truly warehouses. You walk in, there's concrete floors. They've got the tall ceilings, the merchandise stored in what they call the steel, forklifts running around. Got all that going on. And yet, people willingly pay to Costco 60 bucks a year or 120 a year, depending on which membership level, Sam's Club 45 or 100 to be members. The premium members of both get money back for everything they buy. So how are they continuing to do so well? Well, according to research done by, I I just love this name, the crazy coupon lady, that consistently across items, Costco and Sam's Club are 10 to 15% cheaper than Amazon. So there are lots of people that are members both of Amazon Prime and of Costco or Sam's Club. They coexist in their lives. I'm the rare nincompoop who's a member, premium member of Sam's Club, premium member of Costco, and we have Amazon Prime. So I pay for all three. So I'm paying one nineteen to Amazon, one twenty to Costco, and a hundred to Sam's Club. That is a lot of membership fee. But in our case, we do almost all our shopping at Costco and Sam's Club. And we're not big Amazon shoppers, and we'd drop prime if it weren't for. Uh, actually, the Prime Video, 
So for us, it's one of our principal video services. And the Amazon one and two day shipping is just kind of a throw in, but not very important because if you order a large enough ticket from Amazon, you don't pay shipping anyway. But the real answer to why I'm so intense about Sam's and Costco is I save money. Now, you can conspire against yourself, not as much at Sam's Club, because the merchandise doesn't really get to a level of excitement there. It's really just about saving money. But at Costco, you know, they do a lot of treasure hunt stuff that uh, tempts you to put things in your cart that maybe you really don't need and you hurt some of the savings you'd have by buying things you really don't need. Well, my solution to that, unless I know I'm going in to buy something really heavy, I never get a cart. And that reduces the temptation. It means that the savings really are savings instead of buying things I don't really need just because they're on sale or cheaper. Linda's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Linda. Hello. Linda, you're thinking of buying a new vehicle. Tell me about it. Well, um, our the car that we've had for 19 years and has 318,000 miles on it, um, we're going to give to our son who needs a car. So wait, we're wait, looking wait, wait. for a new car. Wait, wait. You <laughs> kept the car. You said 19 years? 19 years. You know that's phenomenal. thousand miles. It's phenomenal. And that's why we love this brand of car. We've had a lot of cars with this brand and 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 we love it um what brand is it that you're brand loyal uh, to volkswagen so you say you're brand loyal but you're really not helping them if you're only buying one vehicle every generation (laughs) well that's true (laughs) uh we've we've had you know most of the cars we've had have we've gotten um three and four hundred thousand miles out of and like I said, we're not even getting rid of it. We um, are buying a, another vehicle because we want to give this one to our son. Um, the problem has come up that we want the uh, new full-size SUV that they just came out with in 2018. Um, uh, and that's the, so pretty much the, is it called the Atlas? Is that the one? The Atlas, yes. Okay. Um, and because it's a new vehicle, I think, um, uh, we've talked to our mechanic, and he's advised us that they kind of have some kinks, which is, you know, um, um, what happens when you introduce a new model, I think. Yeah, and in fact, it, Consumer he, Reports agrees heavily with your mechanic that mm-hmm. in the first two years of manufacturing of a model, that they're going to be more trouble because they haven't figured out exactly if they designed it quite right or if they've got the manufacturing exactly right. But if it came exactly. out and you said 2018, would you be buying... 2018 was the first. So you'd be buying a 2020? Probably a 2019, um, you know, a new one, a 2019. They haven't changed the model, really, um, since 2018. So it's really not going to be all that much different um, because it's basically the same model how much would you you save buying a 2019 versus a 2020 because you're a classic buyer of 
a new vehicle with a past model year because it fully depreciates out as long as you own one. But if there's Mm -hmm. not much price difference for you buying a 19 or a 20, you could really get into the third year cycle of that vehicle. And by then, uh, you you wouldn't really have is much to worry about with teething pains. I mean, if one's made late in 2019 and is 2019, probably not either. I may be uh, worrying too much, but do you know the price difference between getting a 19 Mm -hmm. and a 20? You know, I don't because I don't know that the 20s are even out yet. Well, usually automakers switch over the model year in, is it September or October? Trying to remember which month that the that they go to the new model year. Okay, yeah. I, honestly, we have not even um, you know looked at the twenty twenties. We were just looking at the new twenty uh, nineteens, and that's when my husband was kind of wondering if maybe, and we've never researched this or thought about it, but maybe leasing. Um, one of those vehicles. Definitely um, not in your case. No. Okay. Your cycle of ownership, just buy the thing. Okay. Because you, if you do leasing, really leasing is a way that uh, is, a, is a trick with financing that is not relevant in your life. Okay. Because you're going to keep it so long, that's just not something that you need to worry about and you know the great Mm -hmm. thing with the volkswagen is they really have the best warranty out there as i recall i was just about to say they do the offset on that um is that they do have an excellent warranty i think it's seven years and eighty four thousand miles i thought it was six Um, and 72 but it's it's something in that territory and something in that it's really really a great warranty so I would feel confident you're loyal to the brand, you know the vehicle you want, the large SUV, and I would go test drive one just to make sure that it still is what you love. And if it is, I think um, if you're going to save a couple of thousand dollars buying a 19, buy a 19, otherwise go ahead and buy the 20 and get that one additional year of hopefully more reliability in that vehicle and again this is not specific to volkswagen according to consumer reports because of the complexity of the electronics and vehicles now getting a couple of years in a new model first before you buy is a good way to get other people to deal with the trial and error of a new model rather than you paula is with us on the clark howard show hi paula hi how are you great thank you paula um, I just wanted to know, um, this year I want to buy, I want to purchase a house. I currently live in a condo. I do not like condo living, so that's why I want to switch over and buy a house. However, you need 20% down. I was wondering if I could use my, um, my uh, what is it, my Roth IRA and then pay it back within that time frame that they give you. Would that be okay or yeah, not? Yeah, you can okay? do that. You can do that within 60 days, but you have yeah. to do it a crazy way. Mm-hmm. You have to move your IRA from one company handling your Roth to another. Yes. 
and that's what I was planning on doing because the, I actually do have to switch it over because I do have a new employer. So I wasn't sure if I was going to move that money anyway into my own or put it on um, if I could slide it into my new employer's um, account. All right. So wait, um, you said the money was Roth IRA or Roth 401k? Uh, Roth IRA, I believe. I believe. All right, if it's yeah. employer money, it would be a Roth 401k. If it's your own account, it's a Roth IRA. They matched it. Whatever I put yeah, in. Yeah, so that's match. an employer-provided yeah. plan. Okay. So okay. here's the problem with an employer-provided plan. Okay. You can ask them for a cash out of it. But okay. They hold 20% back for taxes. Okay. And you don't get that 20% back till you file your return the following year. Oh, okay. So you're without that money for that entire period of time. Okay. So okay. if it was, a, if it was, uh, if you had time, you could move it from the old employer okay. into your own IRA. Okay. And then, can you withdraw at that point? You could withdraw your contributions. I'm trying to think when, when there's... The employer match money would be pre-tax. If you're contributing to a Roth 401k, your money would be after tax, but what the employers contribute mm-hmm. is pre-tax. Mm-hmm. So you could move all the money into your own IRA and your own Roth IRA. Okay. The Roth portion, you can pull out at any time for any reason... You could move it to as as long as I pay it back, or do I need to pay it back within? You don't have to pay it back, but you can't turn around and put it back in past the six thousand you're allowed to contribute in a year. Oh, well, this gets really if you make even a single mistake in what you're trying to do, you get (laughs) clobbered tax wise. This is one of those cases where if you've ever used an accountant to do your taxes. You want to go over this, bring your statements, go over it with them, tell them what you want to do to try to come up with the 20% down, and make sure you do it exactly right, because I'm telling you, even a single tiny clerical error, and the IRS owns you. Oh, okay. But if if you can do everything exactly by the rule book, and you can get the money redeposited in an account with a new provider within 60 days... You may be able to pull it off, but you added several layers of complexity there with it being employer money and not your own personal Roth IRA. Today's Clark Rageous moment is about how we're handling credit cards. The amount of credit card debt outstanding has gone up roughly 50% in the last eight years. That is a stunning increase in total amount of credit card debt. And more than a third of people, according to a Wallet Hub survey, say they've already maxed out their credit cards. That's a shockingly high number. And another, another thing, a third of people say they're afraid if they go make a purchase that's a large one, they'll max their credit card out. This is not good for your long-term financial health. Not to mention, 
the average credit card carries an interest rate of somewhere between 16 and 18 percent. So I want you to think this through. Buying things with credit when you can pay your bill in full is great. And you're what the credit card companies call a deadbeat when you do that. Some call it freeloader, but usually they call it deadbeat. On the other hand, they're just so excited when you leave an unpaid balance they can charge you massive interest on. Maxing out your credit cards also demolishes your credit score. Think this through before you pull that card out and say, charge it. I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. Our website's clark.com and clarkdeals.com. I did a thing on the show, and also I wrote an article for clark.com about what I went through going from a professional home burger alarm to a self-install alarm and I talked through how I selected an alarm and I put in ring which is owned by Amazon talked about my experience installing it that it took me longer than any living human being had ever taken them to install one it took me three hours to install something that should have taken based on what other people's feedback was 45 minutes but I am incompetent But I have a a really inexpensive alarm that I installed. The monitoring works out to be $8 a month when you pay on an annual basis. And I've been really happy with it. But I got a lot of feedback from people that was uh, from unhappy to hostile that why would I let Amazon into my life with all the privacy issues that have come up with Amazon and particularly with Amazon's Ring product where Amazon has admitted how much spying they do off of people's Ring security devices. So that sent me back to the drawing board, and I wanted to tell you about some alternatives that have been getting good reviews in the marketplace that are independents. One that's called Kangaroo, Kangaroo Home Security, is very inexpensive. The web address is heykangaroo, com, and they seem to rotate different specials where your monitoring is just like Amazon with Ring charges you 100 a year. By the way, Google with Nest is charging, I think it's $300 a year for monitoring. Simply Safe is up there too. So... Uh, with Amazon's Ring charging 100 Kangaroo charging 100 This is really good stuff. Now, Kangaroo, the equipment costs for you know your door and window things, things, that's a really technical term. For your door and window contacts, if somebody breaks it, comes in, you know, breaks into the house, uh, triggers the alarm, uh, it's just like the same kind of stuff like with the others. And you got your base station that you have your your code you punch in and all that. So they all pretty much follow the same kind of thing 
It's just in this case, you are independent of the big guys. You're independent from Amazon and Google that are becoming so powerful with the Nest brand at Google, the Ring brand at Amazon, and people may not want to be in their ecosystems. And I can't understand why anybody would ever put in the Nest security and pay that massive monitoring cost. Same knock I have on Simply Safe is how expensive the monthly monitoring is. Because the actual cost to providing monthly monitoring is probably a buck fifty or two bucks. And getting eight bucks a month out of somebody is a pretty large markup. To turn around and charge twenty five is highway robbery. But anyway, that's kangaroo. Again, the website's Hey Kangaroo. Another I had never heard of and read a review on TechHive of is Minute, M-I-N-U-T. This one is weirdly different. The website, M-I-N-U-T dot com. This one, you buy these devices that you can pay eight bucks a month to monitor, zero if you just don't want monitoring but you want to have your alarm i don't get that necessarily anyway it uses a technology that senses body heat so instead of arming the doors arming the windows it knows when there's an intruder based on your body temperature that it senses it and triggers the alarm so completely different way of doing it again eight bucks a month it's something that is sold around the world so many of these others are really for the u.s or u.s and canada this one is really a worldwide kind of thing but because you don't have to put contacts on doors and windows it's really 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 easy and quick to install these are just two examples of what's happening in the marketplace for home security. It's going to be very difficult for the traditional professionally installed market. It's one of those marketplaces where technology is becoming a big disruptor. And I've been waiting as I've talked about this is the third time over the last several months. I've talked about self-installed home security systems. I keep waiting for a post on Clark Stinks to be shared with you on the show from somebody in the professional industry saying all the things I'm missing by talking about self-install. But the reality is the market is moving self-install because you do a professional system. They may hit you with one of those ugly long-term contracts. Never, ever, ever, not ever sign one. Number two... They'll hit you with a very high monitoring cost per month. And number three, the equipment costs, because of the professional labor involved installing, can end up being quite high. Angie's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Angie. Hello. How are you? I'm doing great. We are looking at selling our house, and we're wondering if we should purchase legal protection. So basically, it would cover two hundred and fifty. It would cost two hundred and fifty dollars, and it covers twenty thousand dollars of legal fees. So if the new homeowner 
find something wrong with the house after closing and they want to sue us, it would cover that $20,000 of legal fees for up to uh, two years. And our realtor said our um, umbrella policy would not protect us. It also doesn't cover or protect any of our assets. It just covers those fees. Right. So this is a lot of money to pay. 250 bucks is like legal insurance. So it doesn't right. cover uh, the real exposure for you is if somebody alleges that you lied on seller disclosure, you sold them a home with some terrible problem, they get a judgment against you where you're required to fix all kinds of things or pay them big money. All it does for the $250 is it covers a ceiling of legal fees. Let me tell you, if you end up in a big mess lawsuit, uh, the legal fees are the least of your worries. Okay. So I, I'm i glad you asked about this because seller disclosure statements are things that people tend to gloss over and not really think through and sometimes fudge on the answers. And it's much better to just uh, take your time, methodically go through the seller disclosure and be as straightforward as you can possibly be. And if you okay. have to go check records and make sure that you put down the right stuff, do that so you give the buyer nowhere to go because you did full disclosure. Almost always when somebody gets in trouble after a sale with a buyer coming after you is going to be because something was not disclosed as it should have been on seller disclosure. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, one concern we just had was, what if there was something wrong with our house that we had no idea about? Like, what if we had hidden mold or something? You're not responsible that for that. You know, the okay. buyer is responsible for having the home inspected. And when you do a seller disclosure, you disclose what you know. You can't speculate, oh, you know, I wonder, could there be any mold down downstairs that we should be telling somebody i mean you're not going to do that and it would be unrealistic and unreasonable for a buyer to say you should have known how would you should have known now today anybody can sue anybody for anything right and so i deal with that with my companies that you know i get sued from time to time for crazy things and the legal meter does run but you can't insure against every possibility in life. And paying $250 to cover possible potential legal fees seems like uh, that's just too, too unlikely for you to spend $250 that can stay in your pocket. Right, right. Well, thank you so much. That was so helpful. Thank you. And, and, uh, I'm so glad you asked me the question because you gave me another opportunity to talk about doing seller disclosure statements and doing them right. John joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, John. Hello, Clark. I hope you're you're having a wonderful day. I am, John, and I hope your day is great. Oh, yes. It's an honor to speak to you. And my question is, I'm 66 years old. I have a 401k. I've got some other retirement uh, uh, programs also, but my 401k. I'm concerned about the the stock market and the election coming up. Last year, I 
got a return of 33.49%, and I'm in seventh heaven over that. But I'm worried about the market, the potential of suddenly dropping after the upcoming election and wondering if there is a safe haven where I might put my money to weather the ups and downs uh, of the election um, without withdrawing it, which exposes me to tax liability. Sure. So, um, first of all, elections very rarely are the trigger that would cause a market meltdown. You go back to uh, when we had the disputed election that went to the Supreme Court back in 2000 between uh, Al Gore and George W. Bush. And that was a time of great uncertainty for, what, about seven weeks? Oh, yes, at least that long. And it had no meaningful effect at all on the investment community. You know, elections are not a pivotal factor. And even if the day after someone's elected, there's a relief rally or a big panic sell-off, it's a temporary flash in the pan either direction. Because the underlying strength of the economy and the profits of companies whose stocks you own through your 401k, that's what determines value over time. So don't don't fear an election result being what would cause the markets to crater. But okay. there's a different thing. If you earned a return of 30 point something percent, whatever that, what was that number again? 33.49. 33.49. If you did that well last year, it means that you are very heavily exposed in your 401k to stocks. And if you're 66 and you're intending to spend this money at sometime soon, like at what point are you going to bag work? Probably another three years or so. Okay. So I would say that if you wanted to go into a safer zone, take everything in your 401k and go into the Target Retirement Fund 2025. Okay. The idea of the Target Retirement Funds is they mathematically are designed to reduce risk in down markets by making your portfolio steadily more conservative as you approach retirement and then when you're in retirement. Okay. Because if you've got got almost a 35% return on your money, it means are you 100% in stock type choices? No, I've got some index funds in there. Well, those are, are those some... are stocks too. Oh yes. Uh-huh. So you're well, you're way too heavily tilted towards stocks. Okay. And if you do, you know, in your four hundred one k, do you have a choice of the target retirement fund? Yes, there are. There are. So, so I would instead of selling and going to the sidelines and saying I got to wait out uncertainty with this being a presidential election year. I would instead think, hey, I'm bagging work in three years. I need to be in a more conservative trend line with my money. And I would go all in into the Target Retirement Fund 2025. That makes a lot of sense and uh, something that hadn't crossed my mind. I appreciate your advice. Thank you. Absolutely. And again, don't worry, be happy about elections. They don't cause the kind of dislocation or disruption that you may be concerned about from the tone of the political talk shows.
It's time for Clark.com slash ask. That's where you post a question for me. And then one of the ways we answer it is producer Joel asks your question for you. Yeah, Clark Carroll had a question. She said, I'm looking for a great interest rate on a short-term CD. I saw that Marcus by Goldman Sachs offers some of the best rates. I'm looking to deposit 50000 bucks. Is this a reputable bank that I can count on? Because the FDIC doesn't list Marcus, only Goldman Sachs on their website. So I'm a bit confused and not sure what to do. Yeah, so it is A-OK. It is fully FDIC insured. And any Goldman Sachs partners listening would be like horrified that you're worried about their solvency and security, but you were just fine doing one with Marcus. All right. And Joe says, what's the best free email for security purposes? The best is ProtonMail. And it's a European-based email service. It is very, very well-respected. But to get true end-on-end encryption, as I recall, oh gosh, I shouldn't even say this as a, as a non, I'm not that great at technology, but my understanding is that both the sender and the recipient to know you're going to be confident with full end-on-end encryption, both need to be using ProtonMail. That's how you close the deal. ProtonMail is a very easy-to-use email service. All right, Bernice says, Clark, I don't want to overpay for gasoline. How far should I consider traveling in order to get the best price at the pump? So figure it costs the typical person around 60 cents a mile to operate a vehicle. So just as a simple thing, if you're saving $2 on gasoline, you can go up to three miles out of the way and you're still saving money in a typical scenario. So generally what I like to do is when the tank hits half, that's when I start looking for gasoline on my route instead of waiting till I'm getting below a quarter and then I may have to go out of my way to find a deal. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.